The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the lines and available odds, of course, at the DraftKings Sportsbook app. North Carolina listeners, don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in your state. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Welcome to the Pride of Detroit POD cast, Pride of Detroit.com, Pride of Detroit on Twitter, Pride of Detroit on Facebook. You know where to find us as we come to you live on a Sunday this time, twitch.tv slash pride of Detroit. I feel like we're getting back to our roots. I feel that the football season is encroaching when we start streaming on Sundays rather than Mondays, because I know for a fact that training camp is back. The, the first, the first dose of methadone for our football is within us and we're getting closer. It, it, it is, I said it last week. It's like, it's like way stations, the cross. And now it's we've training camp, training camp, training camp, get hype. This is a fuel fuel full Kool-Aid injected right into your brain right away. Uh, it's silly season because everyone starts to uh, get really gassed up about the team. Maybe we'll bring some of that down to earth. Maybe we won't, but yeah, we're going to talk about the development of that. And I am Christopher Fett, you adequate host at Christopher Fett on Twitter coming to you every week for the POD cast and bringing in the man who's going to help feed you that Kool-Aid, the one who is swimming in training camp right now, managing editor for Friday Detroit, Jeremy Reisman, fearless leader at Detroit online. Hello, fearless leader. Yes. Swimming, swimming in the blue Kool-Aid. Yeah. I'm feeling actually after that Saturday practice with the fans out there for the first time, the the season ticket holders and and hard knocks being out there like that really felt like the return to football to me. The first three days were a little slow. I really started to feel it yesterday. I'm, I'm, I'm very, I'm, I'm, I'm thrilled now. I'm, I'm, I, I can tell this is your season because you and Eric are just openly flirting on Twitter. <laughs> you and Eric Schlitt are just flirting on Twitter over all of this. Hey, when, when in Rome, you're not in Rome, you're in Detroit. <laughs> when in Allen Park, when in Allen Park. Yes. <laughs> Ryan Matthews Back is the rock guy. at Ryan underscore POD. My man, Ryan. Welcome to training camp season, my man. Yeah, it's here. The pads finally come on next week. You're going to be there, right? I'm hoping so. Yeah. Fingers crossed. I, I really hope that I can make it to a couple of practices on Wednesday and Thursday. I wish I could be at any of this. I wish I yeah. could. One of these years, just got to fly yourself out here. I know. I know. Jump in that, well. that private Burbank jet you got. <laughs> yeah. The jet I've made with all the POD cast money that, That's uh, right. 
we've to- we totally have to throw around at stuff like private jets. It's all there that I have not just blown on sake and cider and beer. Uh, we've got a lot to get to on the show this week. Uh, we have heard your request. We were going to do a mailbag, but I think 80% of the mailbag was about the Tyrell Crosby article that Dave Burkett published. We will talk about that later in the show, but we're going to start breaking down. We're going to do two segments here, breaking down training camp, talking about training camp. There's a lot to get to. Uh, I guess to uh, Jeremy is going to feel a lot of our questions. I have a lot of opinions to begin with too, though, and I've been reading everything. So we're going to start with the offense and Jeremy, uh, I don't want to buy into the Kool-Aid too much, but I mean, it's hard not to look at this and that they're clearly ahead of last year, just on just on where everyone was feeling things out in training camp. And I guess my question to you is, well, well, actually, you know what? I'll, I'll let you get to your observations. I, I do want to try to dissect the reason for it, but just sure. How, where, where, where are they ahead right now, in your opinion? Well, I mean, th- saying they're ahead of last year is is. is... <laughs> It's not a high bar to clear. That's for the, sure. The thing about last year was it became evident the first week that there were going to be issues on offense. The you know Jared Goff did not look comfortable. There there wasn't a receiver out there that that looked like they could handle starting duties. Just everything did not look like they were meshing together. And now they look like an offense with a game plan. Like there's clearly a scheme in place. Jared Goff looks comfortable. He he's more decisive. Th- there are some questions I still have there that we'll get to in a little bit, but in general, like you can just see the general overall plan. You can see the receivers that, that, that have the talent that they do. There's just a cohesiveness that you, that that's there that, I mean, you'd expect in year two, but there's also like at the same time, the the part where I want to pull back a little bit here is this is also kind of a year one for the offense with, with a new offensive coordinator in place. And, you, you you see the glimpses of that too. You see glimpses of like, wait a second, they're not there yet. This isn't this isn't going to be a top ten offense out of the gate. And and what I mean by that is, I would say in the past two practices alone, there's probably been six or seven times in which Dan like the the offense breaks the huddle, gets to the line, Dan Campbell blows a whistle. What it we don't know exactly what went wrong there, but it was like you guys got to rehuddle. They either didn't break quick enough, which is something they're trying to emphasize, breaking the huddle quicker. Um, they either didn't get lined up correctly or there was some sort of miscommunication. And of course that stuff is normal this early in camp, even more normal when you're in year one of a, of a, uh, a new scheme. But I think it's also kind of a sign that says like, okay, we all have to remember here, new verbiage for everybody, new schemes, new, new philosophy with this offense. Like there's a lot of changes on that side of the ball. That's going to make it. So it's not going to be so such pristine it's not it might not even be as good as it was at the end of last year to start the gate at least ryan do you mind if i ask you a question or do you have thoughts on what jeremy said no go ahead so from everything jeremy was talking about and i guess this kind of goes in the conversation i want to have is you know i think a lot of that can go to anthony lynn but like how much if, if we had to weigh how much of that is on the new offensive scheme making things look farther ahead how much of that is on jared goff looking more comfortable right now and how much that is on better offensive weapons for the passing game. How, how much are you weighing each of those three considerations looking at this team right now? Yeah, I think if, if you're, if you're taking the pie approach, I think the the yeah. biggest slice is that Jared Goff actually has offensive skill position players that are worth a damn. Um, 
you know, I mean, going into last season training camp, it was Tyrell Williams and Brashad Perryman as one and two, and Brashad Perryman didn't make the football team. So when, when your projected number two wide receiver doesn't even make it out of camp, doesn't even make the 53-man roster, I mean, th- that's a pretty big deal. You know, I, I think we saw enough Jared Goff in the first half of last season when he was having to throw to the likes of a Trinity Benson, who was clearly out of his element. You know, he was just as lost in the offense as Jared Goff was. Khalif Raymond was a starter. I mean, a lot of guys who were being called on to to shoulder a big load um, and, and you know, to, to handle some things with the offense early on weren't ready. And that included Jared Goff. So I'm hoping that it's less building the plane in the air this season. Um, because it, it, it was it was quite clear that, you know, when Dan Campbell made the change midway through the season that the plane just couldn't get off the ground. Like, they, they, I mean, they, they didn't even have wings on the thing. So, like, it, it's nice that at least in training camp that if the Lions are going through some growing pains, they go through them in training camp. They don't go through them week eight against the Philadelphia Eagles. Yeah. And that, it, it's interesting, too, because – the, the other part about that, and, and it's something they've really been pushing since spring, is the the gotta-have-it situations, right? The end-of-half situations. That's something that Dan Campbell has said, like, we waited way too long last year, and we got into those situations in season, and we weren't prepared for them. You yeah. know, we had the double timeout. We had the the, the ending of that Ravens game that, that was a defensive breakdown. We had all those things. We're working on those things now so that we don't have to worry about them, like you said, build the plane inside the season you get that stuff done now and since you have kind of a a baseline everywhere else now you can hammer home some of that like specialized situation stuff so that you aren't caught off guard when when it happens in the season because it's going to happen yeah so they're working on dagger time is what you're telling me (laughs) yeah that's that's right oh god more dagger time well the one thing that is also being worked on i want to get to tight ends i want to running backs but i want to jump the line a little bit to wide receivers because to Ryan's point about having better weapons. One of the ones I don't think we've talked about too much was Josh Reynolds. And um, there's two comments from Dan Campbell. First off, Dan Campbell's thing this, this, this season right now has been nicknames. Yep. He is all in on making nicknames and he gave out usually I, I, so I want to get this quote here. I call him the praying mantis. He's a spider of death. He's just, there's something about him freaking serpent so three different animals right off the bat a mantis is not a spider he's always a spider mantis serpent that looks horrifying i'm sure that's going to be in the next season of stranger things (laughs) at some point Uh, a lot of cool nicknames but also that that um he says that uh he he wants to uh buying stock stock. i kind of buying stock in him i think he could have a big year um jeremy what have you seen of josh reynolds so far that makes you think for dan campbell is justified in saying these things about Josh Reynolds. Well, I think he's kind of almost looked like the number one right now. And I'm not trying to take anything away from DJ Chark um, because he's, he's looked good. I think there might be some concern right now that, that he needs a little ramp up period because of his ankle. Like that's, that's not something that I think he's a hundred percent in the clear of yet. He's, he's close. And I don't think there's any concern that he'll miss time or anything like that, but I think he's just maybe not at his most explosive. Whereas Josh Reynolds is a guy who's, who's out there making plays now. The, the other the other kind of big picture thing here that, that I want to point out here is we haven't seen a lot of like downfield plays like maybe you were hoping or expecting since they they invested in these outside receivers yet. But that's by design. Like last year, it was because Jared Goff was standing in the pocket 
for five seconds, couldn't find anyone when checked down. This is more designed short stuff. And so they're, they're utilizing the speed of the receiving core, their speed of their tight ends, the speed of their running backs to do a lot of stuff in the backfield, whether it's, you know, reverses, screens, um, motion, all that sort of stuff. So I think they're designed to kind of play a little bit closer to the line of scrimmage right now. That could change when the pads come on. That could change when everyone's feeling more healthy. We'll see. Um, so, you know, I, whether Josh Reynolds is going to have a breakout year or, or buy stock and all that stuff. I think a lot of that depends too on, on Jamison, right? Like we, we all, I think at this point we all pretty much expect him to start on the NFI list, which means he's going to miss the first four weeks. So that's his time to shine. But the question is like when Jameson comes back, how much do you scale back Josh Reynolds role? Because he's a weapon. He's a good guy. Like he is a solid number two receiver. He's an ever, even better number four. If, if you're taking him off the, the bench. And I, I don't think they completely remove his role once Jameson comes back. So in that sense, yeah, I'm, I'm buying a little Josh Reynolds stock. Do I expect him to be an 800, 900 yard season kind of stock? Probably not, but I don't know. I, I guess it depends. He's got the athleticism. I think the whole serpent death spider death is, is all about his, like Mantis. his quickness, his, 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 his slipperiness. And that sort of stuff is definitely noticeable out there. Are you buying stock Ryan? Are you Jim Cramer? I, I don't know if I can buy stock on Josh Reynolds just because of the, the reasons that Jeremy mentioned in terms of, and, and I guess this goes to the overall optimism that is surrounding the wide receiver room. And I think it's one of our questions that we got on Spotify live one time, Jeremy, but it was like, could the Lions have three 1,000 yard receivers? It's like, <laughs> that's crazy. Pull that, that's, that's, pull back. Hold, hold, hold on a second. <laughs> I, I, I'm saying pull that back, but I'm saying like, I would be surprised maybe if the Lions had 1,000 yard receiver, like spreading it out so much. Yeah. I I think that there's just so many options. And, you know, you talk about Jamison Price starting on the NFI, how long he's going to be there. And, you know, when he comes, when he, you know, when he makes his debut, is Reynolds going to take a back seat? Or will will he have earned a spot where he needs to be out there more consistently and they need to find ways to get him out there? Um, I am. I know you. I know you said there isn't much concern around DJ Chark and the ankle, and it's really just like a ramp up period to get him to the point where he's like, you know, comfortable near as one hundred percent as you can be as a football player. But it's one of those things where it's like I don't want you missing out at all. Like right. I don't want you to be missing anything. Like this is really important time because again, like like we said with golf and the offense and everything the onboarding process is now like you, you should be getting, and that's why I guess my expectations for Jameson are kind of peeled back too. It's like rookie wide receiver first year and you're starting the year on NFI. Like I, my expectations for Jameson are, are pretty low. Like, I, I don't know that if they can get much lower. Yeah. For, for, my, as much, I mean, for as much hype as there is about this wide receiving core, I think we've mentioned it a couple times this offseason. There are still a lot of questions with every single one of them. Right. Maybe, I, I, maybe the most st- clean prospect is Amon Ra. Yeah, I was going to say Amon Ra, like, I'm the one who I can depend on him the most, but at the end of the day, like, he's prototypical for the slot. Like, it, like you, 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 and there's questions about how much use he's going to get when he's not the main mouth to feed at a certain point, too, if they try to spread the ball around a little bit more. But at the same time, he's also seems to be if, golf if the security what, blanket. If there's one thing I can point out about Amon Ra without getting too specific so I get in trouble with the Lions, it's that even on plays that Amon Ra isn't the main target, they are utilizing him in ways that the, the term I like, and, and we used it a lot when you we were talking about the, the 49ers last year, eye candy. He's, He's the big. guy that, that they are going to, they like they're running plays that, that look like they're for Amon Ra, but they aren't for Amon Ra. 
And so they're, they're, they're used for getting other people open. And so I, I think they can almost use all of the attention he got at the end of last season against defenses in ways that's just like, Oh yeah, we're going to feed Amon around. Yeah. Yep. You better guard him. Oops. Josh Reynolds wide open over that, the middle. Yeah, that kind of feels like how the Raiders might be treating with like Hunter Renfro this year. It yeah. like because Hunter Renfro was just unstoppable in the red zone. I know a lot of people, I know some of my friends say, Oh, that's only because he's was like the only guy they could feed for the Raiders. But like when Renfro runs that route in the red zone, that's a problem. When Amon Ra gets open, it's a problem. One one more thing about Amon Ra because he's just so fun to watch in, in camp because <laughs> he's, he's so giving good. it a hundred and billion percent. Um, he's also a blocking weapon. He took out Aiden Hutchinson on a play. Like, <laughs> wait, really? Yeah, he did. <laughs> like, this dude is a competitor. And and so, like, and, and that's something that I think he talked about working on this office. Amon Ra, a guy who all, like, we were already comparing to Heinz Ward because of the way he was blocking, said he needed to get better at blocking. So, like, defensive ends that aren't paying attention, you better look out for that wham block from, from Amon Ra because he's ready for it. I love it. I love it. Uh, let's take it to running backs right now. I, I want to save some time for tight end. I know we're going a bit long here, but um, uh, guys, I, I it's, it's hard to judge the, the running backs right now. Again, pads haven't come on running back. I think a lot of what we're going to learn about them is how well they're going to take some of the hits and shrug them off. Um, you had a note here, though, Jeremy, about DeAndre Swift, who's kind of like, look, the run game depends on DeAndre Swift. No ifs, ands, or buts about it. Um, They want to put more on his plate during training camp to get him prepared for a fuller workload in the regular season, but they still don't want to put on too much. So, like, I'm assuming they – I mean, that that makes sense to me. They, I think if you want to have the balanced offense, you want to have a run-heavy offense, even marginally, you're going to need Swift to take a larger workload this year. Yeah, and I think that's the plan. I think Dan Campbell, you know, he called him one of the most explosive players that they have. Like, they they want to – you know, cater a huge chunk of this offense to him. And you think about what happened last year. He was, he was a guy who was pretty limited during training camp. He was, they, they, you know, it seemed like every other day he was scaled back almost completely not doing anything. And so this year they're like, okay, we can't, we can't have that this year. He needs to be like prepared. His body needs to be prepared for a daily grind. And we still, we still might scale things back every now and then because we, you know, as a guy with an injury history, we don't want to, to do anything that that's going to cause harm to start the season, but you need to kind of get in that physical mindset right away. And we, we know that he got stronger off in the off season. We know he looks a little bit thicker in, in some ways, even though he actually lays weighs a little bit less. Um, but ma- like almost like I'm on around, like there are, there are times when you can see that this offense is catered to specifically to Deandre Swift's strengths, which is both as a, as a rusher and receiver, particularly on the edges. And when you got, when you got a guy like Panay, man, on the edge, who's a fantastic, like a mauler in the run game, you look out. And I, I thought Swift was, was particularly lethal over the first four days in, in, in the red zone. Um, I, I know that picture of him catching uh, the wheel route went, went, I don't know, viral when it went on the internet, the highlight went on the internet. And, and that's just, that's just one of many examples I think of just like how unguardable this guy can be when you get him in the right matchup. And that's again, like that's something the lines talk about, like getting these guys in the matchup, getting Deandre Swift on a linebacker that they're going to try to do stuff like that. And he's going to make them pay as long as they can keep him healthy. I I think to that point too, Jeremy, the, the comments that Campbell made seemed like they married or they, 
you know, they went well with what Deuce had said earlier in the offseason, right? Like talking about, you know, the difference between playing playing hurt and playing injured. And I think that you go back to last season with DeAndre Swift. And it's funny, I, I double-checked, but it was a groin injury, right? Yeah. Uh, the groin injury limits him in training camp. And there's there's headlines that say, like, you know, groin injury, like, no concern. And then you scroll a little bit further on Google, and it's October. And it's like... <laughs> groin injury hampering DeAndre Swift. It's like, okay, like those types of things, like they linger. And if you have a guy who's healthy right now, I mean, just go at it, get this guy ready because build up the callus. Right. No, that's, that's what all the the pros tell me is like all the veterans tell me it's like, it's all about training camp calluses. You need those hits. Yeah. And we, we know the shelf life of a running back. It can be, it can be one game. You know what I mean? Like, you have to have the guy ready from, from, from jump street. So I, I think that's really important, but I don't know. What, what do we make of the rest of the guys in the running back room though? Because I think even though it doesn't seem like a very interesting battle on the surface, th- they're going to call upon these guys at some point during the season. Yeah. Like, I was, I, 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 yeah. I was fascinated by this cause I'm going through the bubble, you know, our bubble watch we publish um, every week too, for the roster bubble on who's in, who's out. And I'm, I've been racking my brain between Craig Reynolds and Godwin Iguabuke and Jamar Jefferson. And like, there's a lot of guys in there that have to make this. And I think, I don't know what, from what I've seen so far, I I haven't seen enough from Jamar to really make me put him inside the bubble for this roster right now. I think Craig Reynolds seems like the guy who's probably got that inside track, if anything right now, but I I don't know. I want to pass. Sorry. Go on, Ryan. Yeah. Real, go, go ahead, real go quick, I, real quick, I want to say at this point, like it's hard to say who's on and who's off the bubble when it right. comes to running back, right? All, all you can really go off is basically two things, special teams, contributions, and order of, of reps. And right now, Craig Reynolds is getting third in line behind behind your two starters. And, and Godwin Iquibuque is, is leading the charge at kickoff return um, with really only Trinity Benson challenging him right now. So um, nothing for nothing for Jefferson. Jefferson is, is in on sign. some special teams, but not like not the return duties. And he's still kind of working through that. It's it's something that he really hit on this offseason. And you can see him progress a little bit, but it's he's not quite there yet. And listen, all that's going to change when the pad, pads come on, right? Like, I, I imagine the order is going to be the same on Monday, but that's when you can start to see things shift. So, in the, when you get into the preseason and you're actually getting some production, you might see some of the order shift. But right now, I would say the two leaders for RB3 and RB4, presuming that they keep both, have to be Godwin Iguabuki and and, uh, and Craig Reynolds. I think yeah, our chat I, live just did not hear any of that, but uh, we will have that up for the podcast. I apologize. Sorry, I hit a mute button because Zazu was going crazy and it muted only half of the stream, apparently. More of a reason to download and listen. But Adequate. the one thing I want to say, the, the, the one thing I want to add real quick is that, you know, Jeremy, you said that there's really two things you can go off of, you know, in terms of the rotation and, and what they're doing on special teams. I mean, the third thing is like, what did you do last year? Right. And I, I think of any of those guys, like Craig Reynolds was the guy who like stepped in, made some big plays, had, had a couple of big runs, you know, he's, you know, upgraded, nicknames right from netflix to hulu uh but i i think what the lions really need though i think they need a dependable runner and i i know it sounds weird to be like well your running back three needs to be pretty versatile needs to be able to do special teams and this that and the other thing i just don't know how much you can rely on deandre swift and i really hope what they what they do with that rb3 spot 
spot is they get a guy who they can depend on to give carries. And, you know, if they want to keep a fourth running back, I know it kind of counts as Kabinda as well. If you want to throw him in the, you know, running back, you know, whatever he is super back. Um, but yeah, I, I, I keep a fourth running back if you want a special teams guy. Let's make this real quick on tight ends. We got to, you know, slam to a break at some point here, but uh, uh, on tight end, there's not a lot of clarity right now on tight end too. Uh, and I, speaking of groin, I did see that Devin Funches has been kind of missing a little bit with groin injury concerns right now. I know it's light for him, but it's still like for a battle for tight end three for a very loaded room right now for a spot that they might not even have. That's kind of worrying, but they are also taking James Mitchell a little bit slow, Jeremy. Yeah. Yeah. We really haven't seen them kind of uh, really give him much team drills at all. And so it's kind of hard to, to really assess where, where he's at in terms of both the ACL injury and in terms of just taking on an, an NFL load and an and NFL style of play. So I'm not going to like necessarily slide him onto the bubble yet, but like he doesn't have a lot of time here. He's got to get going to, to be worthy of, of probably the TE three spot at this point. It still looks like Brock Wright is, is the leader of the pack. And then Garrett Griffin is, is I guess the guy to, to look out for because with the, the aforementioned Jason Cabinda, who's still on the, on the pup list, um, with with him gone, it's it's been Griffin kind of getting that super back duties where he's playing tight end, he's playing fullback, he's playing H back, he's doing all those sort of stuff. So um if I mean if he can he's not gonna beat out Jason Cabinda because they they paid Cabinda, they they re-signed him. But if you can show that you're versatile like that, um, so that if Cabinda gets injured in season, well then there's there's suddenly a role for you on the team. So he's a guy to just kind of keep an eye out of. Can they put Griffin on the roster as a fullback? I mean, they need a roster spot for it. You have to pull maybe if you only keep is is keeping a third quarterback worth it. Is keeping a fourth running back worth it. I mean, you, you have to find a spot for it. Yeah, um, no, I, I was just I was just curious if they can make that like positional transition. That's all so. we'll see. I and mean, that's what they're trying right now. Yeah. And I think the one thing when it comes to pads and, and putting them on this week is TJ Hawkinson. I want to see how physical that dude is ready to be absolutely absolutely this season because I, I think that's the one thing he needs to prove as a, as a tight end really. And, and Campbell's talked about it and he said that Hawkinson would be the first one to, to admit that, that he needs to be better in that, in that phase of his game. So that's what I'm looking for this week. All right, let's take a quick break. When we come back, we'll touch on the defense, what we've seen out of them this week and later on the show. Yes. We, we saw the Tyrell Crosby article, well, from the Detroit Free Press, we've gotten a lot of questions about it. I want to talk about it because I think it's important to get some nuance on the culture of the Lions. And we've got plenty more to talk about coming up next on the Pride of Detroit POD cast training camp season. As NFL Network would say, back together again, baby. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity. But giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. 
and Sylvan's insight assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. Welcome back to the Friday Detroit POD cast. Uh, we covered most of the offense after the first week of training camp. Real quick, we didn't touch O-line, but I don't think there's much there, Jeremy, because uh, pads aren't on yet. And yeah, I always, don't want to think about O-line until pads are on. It, it's tough when there's, there's like no one-on-one drills going on, which is really like that's the exciting time when you see the O-line and, and the D-line go at it. And so like the interior stuff on 7 on 7, on seven or I'm sorry, 11 on 11s, uh, it's really hard to see. You see a little bit of the tackle um, battles going on, and, and we already mentioned a, a, a little bit of that. But um, the the only really interesting thing I think that that I've that that we saw there was at times they've been taking Frank Ragno out uh, at center, not not a ton, um, and putting Jonah Jackson there where he played a little bit towards the end of last year, just kind of cross training him, getting him ready. But the the more interesting part is that it's undrafted rookie Kevin Jarvis who has come in at left guard occasionally to fill Jonah Jackson's spot. And so he's maybe someone once the pads come on to kind of keep your eye on and see if he kind of climbs up the ranks because the interior depth is still very much up in the air. We don't know if Tommy Kramer is going to be one of those guards, Logan Stenberg. And and it seems like maybe Kevin Jarvis has worked his way into that conversation as well. So just something to kind of keep an eye on. We'll keep that in mind. Let's move over to the defense. Um, Early thoughts on the defense. Uh, so we talked about this, I think, last Scraps episode about there's a podcast where Aaron Glenn talked about kind of in a very funny, funny way. I think we kind of uh, uh, alluded to it as like going to see the master up on the mountain, talking with longtime football coach Al Grow. They go over to his house and spend like three days just talking about football. Al Grow, you know, almost what, 60 years of experience coaching defenses across both college and the NFL went all around the Atlantic coast conference in college and just was a very big philosopher about, you know, going on the attack, attacking offenses, even when the offense has all the advantage. And uh, I think we're seeing that in camp right now, Jeremy, because there is pressure all over from the defense. They are practicing how to pressure, pressure, pressure. Yeah, it would be, you wouldn't recognize this as the team that finished like 28th in sacks last year. Um, they they've they've been getting to the quarterback a lot. And if you look at Eric and I's top 10 standouts from week one, I think five of them are defensive linemen, maybe maybe even six. And that just kind of goes to show you like they they've heavily invested in this position and they don't even have Romeo Quar, they don't even have Josh Pascal, and and they're still getting to the quarterback. And I think some of that is, is schematic changes. I think some of it is showing and, and we can just jump right into the edges here if, if we want. I know uh, it's jumping around a little bit, but um Charles Harris is showing that that last year was not a fluke. He's he's looking like that dude, like almost edge one dude. Like I'm I'm kind of really excited for Charles Harris. And we've mentioned it before in the past. Like he had a really, really good underrated year last year, but he also saw a ridiculous amount of double teams, which he's not going to see as much this year. So I think that the arrow is still trending up for Charles Harris. And then I mean, do we do we want to just take the entire second segment and 
talk about how excited we are for Aiden Hutchinson. Like that dude is is wrecking people. And there there are occasionally the, the mental mistakes, you know, he'll he'll get caught up on maybe a rollout and 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 lose the edge here and there. But when it's just one on one, that guy is going to win a lot of battles and make a lot of opposing quarterbacks a life of living hell in, in the backfield there. So I, I mean, I I don't want to get too excited before the pads come on because again, like the offense loses a lot of tools when they when they can't hit back as much but this is also a little bit about technique right and and if you, your guys are are dipping below or, or speeding past offensive tackles well that sort of stuff is going to translate when the pads come on too so i don't know are you guys are trying to temper your expectations too or are you like let's go this team is going to finish top 10 in sacks now i'm uh I, I, I'm not there on top ten in sacks. You're, you've got a lot before you have <laughs> to buy me on this. Sure, you're you're gonna have exactly. to. You're gonna have to. I still think this is probably bottom five on defense. Like I appreciate the pressure. I just think though the aggressiveness is probably going to burn them at some point. Uh, but again, we'll see when the when the pads come on. What do you think, Ryan? I think that, that for Detroit, at least in the short term, I think that they're going to benefit more from having Aiden Hutchinson inside next to Charles Harris. Um, I think that that's good. Yeah. I think that's going to be one surefire way for them to get Charles Harris in more one-on-one situations because he's got somebody like, you know, Hutch next to him. So it, it's interesting. Like I think a lot of people would, would prefer to see and, and myself included, like I'd love to see Hutch on the outside, but when it comes to generating pressure and, and putting, you know, teams into uh, situations they don't want to be in, I, I think kitchen, I, I think kicking Hutch into three tech, next to Charles Harris might be one of the best looks I have. And I know Jeremy mentioned, you know, Julian Aquara on the other side of that. Um, the the one thing that I, I'm intrigued by the edge competition, though, is how much it bleeds into the linebacker competition too. Sure. Right. Like, I think that's a really interesting wrinkle because those guys are kind of hybrid players. So it's like, you almost want to like lump all those guys into like your Julian Aquara, your Austin Bryan, your Jared Davis, your James Houston. Like you want to take all those guys in a pot and be like, okay, where, where do all these pieces fit? That's, that's fascinating too, because like, especially on linebackers, I, I do want to get back to an edge that I noticed, but real quick, since we're on linebacker real quick is one of the guys talking about where they fit. Cause I came into camp thinking that Jared Davis probably is going to get on this roster just because of his attitude, because of, what he's doing and his ability to do pretty much everything and buy in, but very little to no use on the edge so far. He's kind of repping with later offenses. So I don't know if I want to read into it too much. Uh, we've seen guys who have repped with later uh, uh, units who end up making the roster all the time, but it kind of tempered my expectations on Jared Davis, but I wanted to take it to um, if you don't mind, if I put a pin in that, we'll come back to linebackers in a second. But I, sure. before we moved away from edge, I wanted to talk about Austin Bryant because I think, you know, you mentioned the standouts, Jeremy. I thought he um, – that's a name that I thought really improved his stock this week. I think he's shown a lot. And I think with the Josh Pascal um, injury and surgery that it's got room for a guy like Austin Bryant on the roster now. Well, he, he's one of those guys that I think we said – in, in our preview, like with Josh Pascal likely being out for a little bit, he's going to have an opportunity here to prove himself because they, they feel very, I mean, not identical roles, but they, they feel edge roles essentially. And, and, and yeah, I, I thought Austin Bryan had a fantastic first week. And listen, we have to temper expectations a little bit here because 
a lot of those times the Lions were were fielding two undrafted guys at tackle. And so Austin Bryan is going up against the likes of Opinaze and and you know Dan Skipper was on the NFI. You know, Taylor Decker is missing some time here and there as, as maintenance day, probably foot related, but not not a long-term concern. So he's not going against great competition, but he's doing what you're supposed to do when you're going against so-so competition. You're saying, oh, I'm way better than this. And that's that's what Austin Bryan is doing. So I think he's worked his way back into the conversation. Julian O'Quar is, is in that same conversation. And I thought he had a good start to the week, but he kind of tailed off a little bit. And I think maybe the most telling thing about Julian O'Quara is that when... You know, Dan, Dan, I think what Dan Campbell says in front of a podium is sometimes extremely telling because he'll gush over a guy. He'll give a guy 10 nicknames and you're like, it's a good sign for that guy. He's making an impression. When he was asked about Julian, he's like, yeah, well, you know, he's doing a lot of the stuff that, that we saw last year with the pass rush. And, you know, he, he's got some of the athleticism to drop into coverage to be, you know, the, the dual guy that drop into coverage linebacker or the pass rushing edge guy. But we need to see more. And so he he turned into that mode that you see him talk about some players where like he's he's clearly offering a challenge to that guy because he's not seeing enough out of him. And so he's offering a challenge to Julian like you got to show me more. You got to show you can set the edge. You got to show you, you you're a little bit more versatile than just like a one tone pass rusher. You have to add more to your game. And so I'm not saying Julian Okwara is is in danger of of missing the roster at this point, but he is I feel like on notice right now. And and with with Austin Bryant making an impression, I don't know. I, I'm I'm not swapping those two yet on my depth chart, but I'm not. I, I think I think they have edged closer to each other. And then and then if I could talk about Jared Davis for a minute, I kind of I kind of am reading a lot into that situation because I don't know we I mean we saw it with James Houston in in rookie minicamp and, and regular minicamp, and yes, he's a rookie. <clears> it's a little bit different, but like. They, it's like the reverse James Houston, where James Houston, they're like, sorry, dude, you're not playing linebacker. You're just going to be an edge rusher. With Jared Davis, it seems like they've done the opposite. They said, listen, we didn't see it with the edge rushers, I guess, in the spring. So you're an off-ball linebacker now. And get in line, because there's eight dudes in that competition. And right now, he's repping with the threes. And so, like, like you said, that can change in terms of where he's repping. But in terms of position, I think he's now just an off-ball linebacker, and I'm pretty surprised by that because I think me and a lot of Lions fans are kind of excited to see him being more of an edge role, and I just I don't know if that's disappeared completely at this point. It kind of feels like it has. Just let him put the pads on, man. He'll be a dog <laughs> chasing cars. He, he will. I'm excited. Is, is that the guy you're most excited to see when you get the pads on, or is it – I mean, well, outside of Aiden Hutchinson, I, wish, <laughs> I should say. Uh, I I guess if I was a like serious masochist as a Lions fan, for sure, um, it would be it would okay. be seeing Jared Davis's renaissance in Detroit. <laughs> I, Hutchinson's gonna like blow up, right? Like, I don't. I, I'm not. I'm saying that I'm trying to temper the Kool Aid as much as possible. But again, we keep not talking about Hutchinson, and very soon Hutchinson is gonna make us talk about him and i get why we're not talking about him because there was so much in the last draft in the draft where it's like deeper stuff questions pretty things and and like depth considerations for guys like pascal and houston and jmo's like <laughs> electricity and injury but hutchinson just yeah it was like we got him and uh then it's like oh hey yeah this guy is going to start sacking people 
how I mean, how how many years have we just begged for a star on this defense? How there many years have we been begging star? for a damn pass rush, man? There hasn't been anyone. Any yeah. like when the last time there was a Pro Bowl guy here on defense? Glover uh, Quinn, Darius yeah. Slay, Darius Slay, Darius Slay, and on that's the defense, it. In the front seven, you have to go all the way back to Sue days, right? Yeah, you get twenty fourteen. Uh, you want to talk about the, I want to talk about the backfield a little bit. Um, Will Harris. Maybe the storyline of week one. I I know we, uh, I know you are the cheerleader prime for Jeff Okuda, but from everything you've seen at camp and I'll kick this to Ryan too, as well. Like, is there any chance Will Harris who we've, taking our shots at Will Harris, but that's all been when he was at safety. He looks vastly improved as a cornerback. And I am now here to ask you, and I'm asking you to think about this deeply. I'm asking you to think about this without the pom-poms for your club. Is there a chance Will Harris can, can, I'm not saying he's done it right now, but throughout this camp, throughout preseason, jump Jeff Okuda as the cornerback who will start opposite of Amani or Warrior. Come week one. I mean, unequivocally, the answer is yes. And I don't I don't even know if I would consider it a jump at this point. Like I think wow. I think I mean if you were to like tally up the reps right now, I I would say Will Harris has been getting more first team reps than Jeff Aquit. It's not it's not lopsided, but I think that's where it stands right now. I think Jeff Okuda needs to work his way onto the starting lineup. And I know that's gonna cause consternation by some people and be like, oh God, Will Harris is playing Jeff Okuda, like, we're screwed. Yeah, I I don't know how I can't take that as anything but a bad sign for Jeff Okuda's recovery, too. But that's that's not really what's happening. Like, neither of them are playing particularly poorly. I think both of them are actually playing particularly well. They're both making plays. It's almost like a good situation to have. And I'm, I'm not going to sit here and tell you, like, wow, the Lions have two cornerback ones on their roster and they have to figure out which one's which. Like, that's not the situation we're at. But I don't think one is, like, way outplaying the other and i don't think one is bogging one is not i think i think they're just winning the job rather than jeff okuda is losing the job if that makes sense and also pads haven't come on let's wait till all that one-on-ones we haven't seen any one-on-ones yet that's really when we're going to see some of this stuff separate each other it's when we're going to see more from the wide receivers where we're going to see more from the defensive backs when they do those one-on-ones that's going to be really eye-opening. I think that's where we'll start having more opinions on the secondary. But right now, I, I think Will Harris is doing a, a, a bang-up job at corner. And that, like, take Jeff Okuda out of the question for a second. That's good news because who is who is the backup outside cornerback right now? Like, if Jeff Okuda was to start and I were to tell you three weeks ago, hey, Will Harris is, is your backup outside corner, you'd be like, run for the hills, man, right? And now yeah. you should feel a little bit better about that situation. That that's that's my take out of out of the first week. Yeah, that that just seems a little bit wild to me, though. That three weeks ago you would be chicken little, assuming that the sky is falling, and right. then now just over that's the course fair. of three weeks you feel comfortable, like okay, yeah, I'm I on feel board better, better. Yeah, because to say that like some people have taken shots at Will Harris, like that guy he has been the punching bag of the defense for the past two years. He was the, he was the like, goat. And I'm not saying that as like capital letters, I'm saying that lowercase goat as in sacrificial. Yeah. Like, if, if, if Will Harris goes out and like 
shows that, hey, I'm supposed to be an outside cornerback and I've just been being misused all this time. It's going to take like an entire training camp and it's going to take some, you know, games in the preseason. And to be honest, it's going to take some convincing in season. If, if he ends up winning that cornerback two job, like I I just think that like for, for, for it to happen that quickly over three weeks, like it just seems like all of this Jeff Okuda hype. And then it's like, Hey, guess what? Will Harris is playing pretty well. It's like, okay, but what about Jeff Okuda? Well, he's just not playing as well. It's like, shit. I, you're, you're, not, you're not wrong. There's definitely some of that going on. But I think it's also worth, like, it's also worth remembering. Will Harris slipped in last year. Like, he was the nickel corner for the for three games when, when A.J. Parker was out. And then he slipped to outside corner. And, and you look at the production there, it wasn't bad. He played the position actually quite well. Like, again, I'm not talking CB1 numbers. I'm not talking lockdown numbers. But a guy that's coming in there and, and playing like, a cornerback that doesn't want you doesn't make you rip your your hair out. <laughs> we'll, we'll take that out of a CB two right now. But I think I I think I know where Ryan's coming from because like I don't know how anyone can look at this from an outside perspective without the without a massive amount of nuance and take it as a positive, especially in the case of Jeff Okuda, because no matter what happens, it's gonna be like Okuda is losing out to Will Harris. That's that's the that's the takeaway. But I, I know it's not fair, Jeremy. It, it's it's really it's not fair because I'm, there, there, I, I mean the perceived the yes and the, I mean the other part of this equation too is like Okuda's coming back from an Achilles injury they weren't just going to give him first team reps right away and just like sorry like you're getting the full load right away like that's not how that was ever that's, going that's, to work yes I think that is probably that's the easiest retort to those people is that Okuda's just probably not getting the the full amount of work I'm not saying he's lost out completely but like right now it is to Ryan's point it's it's warning flags to people in the Detroit sports media who want, who are going to read into it. It's just this competition's far from over too. Right. Right. Like, for that, sure. I mean, there, there's still so much of, of this, you know, to, to shake itself out, but I think we should talk about the safeties. Yes. Let's talk about one, the safeties. Wait, yeah. One really quick line that I want. If, if, if Will Harris is the week one starter, Aaron Glenn might not make it through the season. Like he mm-hmm. might get hired as a head coach mid season. I don't, that never happens. Never has happened, but it might it might be a first. If he can now make Will Harris a starting corner, like a starting quality, like I don't know who's a bad coach out there right now. You're, is Joe you're Judge still the, a coach. You're drinking the Kool Aid a little too hard right now. New York, New York is going to trade for Aaron Glenn at the deadline. You're, you're drinking the Kool Aid too hard right now. <laughs> Training camp co- season. What am I supposed to be doing? That's that's. That's getting into a very specific DNA of Lions being like, oh, my God, we might be too good. That so that people are going to suddenly show an interest in Lions coaches, which they have never suddenly, done. They did never. in the last offseason, Chris. I, I know. I know. But you just think it's going to go into overdrive. But anyway. Yeah. I the, the thing the thing that I think we can transition from here, though, and the, and the thing that threads together the defensive backfield is finding spots for where players will best suit this defense and apparently it's will harris playing outside corner and it's somebody who they kind of thought would be like that outside corner depth and iffy making the full-time transition to safety like all of a sudden that room gets really interesting knowing that like he's going to be a safety and not a cornerback because it's like all right you, you drafted kirby joseph though in the third round right and kirby's kind of coming along a little slowly right now Again, so early, but if he, yeah. right, like, yeah, there, 
it's two guys relatively new to the position or relatively new to, to the NFL position, I guess is, is the best way to put it. And listen, like Juju Hughes is repping above both those guys right now. And CJ Moore is probably about to come back um, from, from Pup or NFI or whichever one he's on. Um, and so, yeah, I, I think it's super interesting. Like, I don't, I keep saying it. Like, I just, I don't know where, if he fits right now. And and we keep saying he's a situational guy, but like he has to do more than that. And they are getting him in on special teams. And so there, there could be a role for him there, but they, they got to find, find, they got to validate his spot on the roster. Like I'm not, again, I don't want to, you know, hit the panic button one week into training camp, but it's tough to see him being a, first of all, living up to his draft status. Like, I don't know if, if, there's a path for him to be a starter at any point. Like, I don't, that seems, that seems drastic, but it's just, it, he seems like a weird fit because, because like you said, like it just, for whatever reason, it didn't work out at corner last year. They're, they're pushing him to safety, but like they already got guys that they like there. So I I, I don't know. I don't know what the, the plan is there. It's, it's an interesting situation. So, so, so what Jeremy's saying is he can't tell if he's a safety or if he's a corner. And with that, we are going to our break because I cannot tolerate any more of that. You've, you've, you, you were waiting yes. all podcasts to do that, Ryan, weren't you? I, I hated the joke, but I love that it got us off the segment before we talked to, before we had time to talk kickers. Austin Seibert missed a couple. I don't know what else there is to say. <laughs> I don't, I don't know. I don't know. I talked some on the pre-show. You can go back and watch my pre-show. How about that? Twitch.tv slash no decaf with a K. Uh, We'll be right back. We want to talk about the Tyrell Crosby story that was published in the Detroit Free Press. Um, I think it's fascinating. I think it's a little bit of fly in the ointment to the uh, reputation of the coaching staff. I also get why Lions fans are going to be very defensive about it. And there's a lot to break down. So we want to give it the time it has. We also haven't been reading reviews for the last couple of weeks. So I want to read some reviews and, uh, get everyone together. I, I know we promised a meal bag. We'll have to eschew it. Uh, maybe if we have some time after talking the Crosby story, we can t- get some mailbag questions. If not, we will, we'll get to just all of that next close up shop. We'll be right back on the pride of Detroit. EOD cast. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. 
wrapping up the show on the Pride of Detroit POD cast. Before we get to our topic that we wanted to discuss, though, uh, we've taken a few couple weeks away just because we were busy with a lot of other things. We usually read our five-star reviews that people give us. You can go to Apple, Podca- Apple Podcasts, podcast.apple.com, whatever it is. Look for Pride of Detroit. Give us a five-star review. We will read what you say within reason on the stream and we still have a long backlog to get through. So Jeremy's got four fresh new ones. I think we read restored roar last time. I apologize. Restored the roar. If we didn't, but, thank but you. we're starting, but thank you. Yes. We're starting with uh, where, where are we starting? I can't read this name, Jeremy. Uh, it's got a D G H K J G D A H J J F um, five stars says good podcast. Five-star rating because you guys talk Lions football. There are better Lions podcasts out there, but you guys are probably top five. I would like more original content, but I'm just a guy who, so keep doing what you're doing until it doesn't work. I'll take backhanded five-star reviews. I don't care. I'm uh, I'm, I'm miffed at that oh. one a bit, but like, the, the idea that we don't do original content, what are we doing? How more, much more original you want? We'll go original ho- right. house of pancakes on you. How many podcasts, lines podcasts out there are dropping three podcasts a week? How many, how many people like gave you Africa by Toto or have a great baby? It's a great point. Uh, Next one comes from Jess Penn. says Detroit Lions, best lines podcast. And it's not, and I assume it says close after that. Not even Uh, close. Yeah. Not even close. Best Detroit Lions podcast period. I first listening during draft coverage this year. I'm a draft junkie and they gave me info on guys I'd never heard. Incredible information and content. I was blown away. Where has this podcast been all my life? Now, if we can just get Jeremy to buy an Aaron Rodgers jersey. I just, I, I understand curse, man. Your the jersey, jersey curse. curse, but I can't have that showing up on my credit card statement or I, I will hate can myself. You, can, can you like get it? disguise on your credit card like you know how people get porn disguised on there as coming from some other name i would also need the package like when you get viagra i need it to say something different yeah 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 everything maybe just okay very discreet (laughs) uh next one is from nate's girl says the kings of content no other podcast can compete with the sheer amount of quality content that pod cast puts out adding eric schlitt my favorite dude only pushes up the content quality even more. I love it. Even us older dudes like myself have learned to tolerate the list casts. LOL. Keep up the great work. We didn't do list casts this year. I'm very you're, disappointed. You're welcome to, to Nate's girl though. Yes. Um, but thank you. <laughs> Last uh, one going. Yeah. Go, is from, I like this name lion about how good we are. L I O N of course. So it's best show on lions. As a huge Kool-Aid drinker, love this show. Gets me through the offseason when I need my Lions news. Hope Ryan's baby has a better 30 years as a Lions fan than we have had. Have a great baby, Ryan. I hope so, too. Yeah. <laughs> All right. With that out of the way, uh, what we want to talk about here in this segment, I didn't think we'd talk about it, but this dropped here on Sunday, and uh, we are recording on Sunday and it was kind of a bit of a curveball. Dave Burkett, our friend from the Detroit Free Press, had a t- had time to talk to former Detroit Ryan. I'm going to say his name wrong, Jeremy. Tyrell Crosby. Did I say yeah, it right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I keep going back between Tyrell and Terrell. I never know which way I'm supposed to inflect on the why. So Terrell, Tyrell Crosby had uh, left the Lions. He's been released by the Lions. Uh, not with a current team right now. He had a spinal fusion procedure. I think his career's done. 
if we're being honest, for the amount of pain he seems to be in, for the amount of injury he's taken. But he was with the Lions for four seasons. And look, I, I'll just break. I, I encourage you to go read it right now to read everything Crosby said. But he had a breakup with the Detroit Lions, and it was not. Uh, it was not pleasant. It was not pleasant. Uh, some of the stuff that was talking about, there's a lot of stuff in here that's just hard to read when it comes to the pain that Crosby had to deal with, the multiple doctors he had to deal with, the amount of time he spent rehabbing. But I think where Lions fans have kind of taken note is uh, a couple things. First off, it's uh, he's not he's not one who's come out of the Lions with a favorable opinion of them. One of the things he said was, you know, uh, he, he talks about how much let me, I'm trying to find the quote right now about, you know, uh, let's see here. Uh, it really sucks for me just because you've been around that fan base. They are so passionate. Just every year the Lions are going to win the Super Bowl. I love that fan base so much. And that's what kind of sucks about it. And just now they have a lot of people kind of tweet at me. Hey, wish you were back. Things like that. And I'm just like, if only you guys knew, because I wouldn't want to play for that organization, just knowing what I know now and just how poorly they treat their players. Uh, put it put a pin in that because I'll probably come back to that. The other things he talked about was like, look, he kind of went through multiple regimes here, but he had some choice words for the current regime, in particularly called out Anthony Lynn and uh, former OC and Brad Holmes yeah. by names. And actually, uh, Dan Campbell was in this, too. Uh, one of the quotes that one of the bits that uh, Burkett got, he said Campbell and general manager Brad Holmes called him into his office last spring, pretty much saying, quote, pretty much saying how I'm bad for the team because I walk around like I don't care about my teammates, the city of Detroit, the staff members, when that's everything of those are like the furthest from the truth. This is coming off of a very long, again, a very long, very painful process of him trying to come back from from injury. He missed all. And I think a lot of this stemmed from that. He missed voluntary workouts last spring. Uh, because and he, by his words, that's because he was homesick. He didn't get to see his family in 2020 due to the COVID pandemic during a lot of, you know, quarantine procedures. So he missed uh, voluntary workouts. Look, it's it's complicated what's here. There's a lot here. I've talked too much. I want to kick it to the other guys on what you have felt about all of this, because I have very, very, very strong opinions about this myself. Well, yeah, let's let's run down kind of the timeline really quick, because I think it's important to lay out everything that happened here and and how that probably affect emotions from both sides along the way. So very first thing that happens is Lions draft Panay Sewell. So that means Tyrell Crosby is no longer in a starting spot on this team. And so what happens about a month later, ESPN puts out a report that Tyrell Crosby is on the trading block. A couple weeks after that, he doesn't show up to OTAs and everyone kind of assumes it's related to that. The Lions put him on the trade block, doesn't show up to OTAs. They're, they're not mandatory. They're voluntary. So he's well within his right to do so. But like you said, Tyler Crosby has said since he, he talked to the media after that, which a couple months later saying, I missed, I was homesick, didn't get to see my family a lot during the season last year. I just wanted to be home. Well, you want to believe that or not, whatever. After that mandatory mini camp comes, he shows up, training camp comes along, he shows up deals with a hamstring injury, goes kind of MIA for, for a couple of weeks on, on that as he rehabs through that. He says, this is this is all his account, and, and we want to make that clear. This is his account, not necessarily the truth, not necessarily anyone else's point of view, but he says at this point, he goes to trainers and says, hey, I have a back issue too. It's really bugging me. And he alleges that 
the lines medical staff basically brushed him off said no nah, whatever you got to let's just deal with the hamstring whatever play through it whatever he he misses a couple preseason games during which the very first preseason game the lions fire their their medical trainer which may or may not be related to this we never really got a full answer dan campbell did specifically come out and say hey this wasn't a thing where he was mistreating any like no one got mistreated in terms of medical treatment then he plays in one preseason game three weeks later. He's cut with a wave. He's, I'm sorry, he's waived with an injury designation. The Lions try to give him an injury settlement, according to Crosby, for four days. He thinks it's four weeks, a four week settlement, meaning he gets paid for four weeks, then he's gone. Um, he declines that because he, he thinks it's a more serious injury. He goes through all the, the diagnosis from other doctors, finds the back injury gets the spinal surgery in, in December and stays on the lines IR that entire time. And they don't resign him this off season. So all that being said, there's a lot of emotions happening here. And there are a lot of finger pointing that you can do. And, and when you're only getting one side of it, I understand why some people are, are quick to, like you said, dismiss it. Others are quick to believe him. I look at the guy that Tyrell Crosby was for four years here as a guy who never rocked the boat, a guy who was always a team player, um, a guy that survived the Matt Patricia era and, and in some cases thrived in it. So if you're questioning his softness, say calling him soft, I don't think that fits at all. Um, but the, but things immediately got off to a very bad start, right? Like the first impression, we know how important it is for, for this regime to have a guy bought in. And when Tyrell Crosby doesn't show up to OTAs after the the trade rumors, I, I feel like they felt the amount of betrayal. And 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 to use one of Dan Campbell's ter- terms, probably filed Tyrell Crosby as one of those turds, right? And I don't think that's a fair judgment of him. And it's kind of surprising because if if, the, if that's what happened there, they brought back their offensive line coach. Hank Fraley knows who Tyrell Crosby is. So if there's a misread of Tyrell Crosby's personality there, there's no reason for that to happen. And so, I don't know. It, it feels like it just kind of spirals out of control at that point where, like, at this point, Tyrell Crosby feels slighted. Maybe he's misreading social cues. Like, he says that Brad Holmes, when he cut him, said, oh, he said sarcastically, oh, thanks for thanks for contributions. I don't know. Based on what, I, what I've heard from Brad Holmes, that that to me seems like maybe you're projecting a little bit there. Other than that, though, like it's still not a great look for the Lions. Anytime someone complains that you did not treat them properly or you dismissed their injury concerns and it resulted in potentially career ending surgery, it's not a good look. And this is a team that's had a lot of accusations and it's not the same medical staff, but like DeAndre Levy had complaints. Calvin Johnson had complaints about about the medical staff like and, and Crosby said, like, this is a top down thing. Well, if in the past 20 years, we've had three significant players complain about the medical staff, that's something that you can't just turn a blind eye to. Yeah, I, I don't know what much more to add uh, when it comes to what you just laid out. I mean, I think I think that's the important thing, though, is like the story that Burkett wrote. It's from Crosby's perspective. Totally. It's his side of the story. And I think you just have to make of it what you will. Especially after, I mean, 
pretty good feeling that the Lions are going to be that Dan Campbell's going to be asked about this on Monday, right, Jeremy? Maybe, maybe not. I mean, Burkett asked the Lions, right? Like in in his story, it says like, "Hey, we asked the Lions for comment; they didn't give one." Um, you, you kind of put him on the spot there to almost force him to give some sort of answer. So it's certainly possible. I just don't know how much the other beat has picked up on it or cares. We'll see. It's, it's yeah, it this this story is hard for a lot of reasons. Um, I'm going to start with first off because I feel like we're kind of sitting here anticipating a lot of the backlash the fans are giving towards Crosby. Because I've already heard, I mean, we, we've said it ourselves, but there's a lot of people who are very defensively saying, well, there's two sides to the story. As, but I, I mean, the way we're saying that as a fact, I, the way I'm seeing it for fans is that they're trying to use that to dismiss and say that we're going to believe whatever Dan Campbell says on the other side of it. Because it feeds into the fact that I think a lot of people, the reputation of Dan Campbell and Brad Holmes and this regime is incredibly good right now. And nobody likes the idea that it, that anything like this could rock the boat. Um, I think that's going to just hurt Crosby it, it, overall in this, is that people are just going to see someone who is sour and it's like, why are you busting the Kool-Aid and everything? And I've seen several people take the angle to say, oh, maybe he, this was just under the Boston boys, or maybe this was you know, with the former trainer. As we laid out, there are plenty of quotes in this article that put some of this blame on Dan Campbell, oh. Anthony Lynn, all. Brad Holmes. This, this is, is on, all on the new regime. Yes, this is all on the new regime. Here's, I mean, I, I want he even had like he had like really nice things to say about the previous regime and how in the past yeah. much of a great time he had. Right, and I don't think that means that he's just going to immediately come into this one sour. But look, why I say it's hard, and this is the thing I really want to get into, is that first off. I think we all understand there's no such things as, as like completely good guys, completely bad guys. I don't think this is out of the realm of possibility for Dan Campbell to label a guy who just doesn't fit in. That is part of football top to bottom. That's why I never worked out in football. Every coach saw me a scraggly little kid who was gloomy for a lot of reasons that I've talked about in the past of why I was gloomy and why I didn't get along with people. And I got shit canned out all the time. I got alienated all the time. So I wanted to like, and I'm not saying I'm, I'm, I'm going to side with Crosby, man, we are getting the inside look on something that does not feel good. We are getting the inside look on as it has been painted right now, one side that was expecting one thing from people and one player who had legitimate problems, legitimate concerns, and those weren't addressed, but because he had those and people came in and didn't understand that those concerns were there, that those weren't addressed, it just starts to cascade. Tyrell Crosby got put on the outside. And when you are on the outside, it hurts. It hurts a lot. It creates bitterness in you. It, it gives people on the inside more reason to look at you and say, why aren't you buying in and start to retaliate more and more. And it just, it feeds off it until the relationship is just toxic. There's really like, if it, when you have a situation like that, it's really easy for it to spiral out of control. And we've all gone through it in every walk of our lives and every job. I think most people have worked in there's just be it rumors around your office, be it how people talk to each other. There's that one person who maybe you are being unfair to them yourselves that you just pick out as the person who's just not in, they're not in with what you are trying to do. And you just despise them for it. You despise them for it for one reason or another. And again, that might be fair. That might be unfair. But 
I think it's able, we're able to be subjective here. And I think we're able to say that both sides are, are probably harboring these feelings. They both think they have a good reason to do it. They both feel that their, that their resentment is justified in some way, but it's also not making the situation better. No, like it's, it's, this is, this is humanity. This is not, there are no white and black here. I'm sorry. There is no right. There is no unequivocal right and unequivocal wrong in this situation. And it's going to be a, he said, he said, moving forward, no matter what Dan Campbell or Brad Holmes say going forward, it's going to be a, he said, he said, and that's going to just be what it is. And it's going to feel awful. It's going to feel awful because all the fans have just been fed mainline Kool-Aid for so long about how this is a player friendly, a player driven regime head coach, everything. And this is a fly in the ointment, but guess what? They're not going to be perfect, but they should still be taking a task if this is all true, but it just, it, it, yeah, I'm sorry, Ryan. It just, it sucks. It just sucks because it feels bad to look inside and see this kind of thing. Well, I I think speaking to the subjectivity of it, I think for the lions, the most damning thing could be the medical negligence, right? Like without a doubt, because at the end of the day, you're caught, you could have potentially cost this guy his career. And I think the thing that's most damning is that, he, as Jeremy said, he wasn't settling for that four weeks pay. Like he was like, no, this is serious. Like I, I have a huge back problem. And if it was something that the Lions legitimately like, you know, ignored and, and didn't treat seriously, that is a huge huge problem i want can i go into the details of that so crosby rehabbed his his back failed to show any improvement he traveled to california to visit spine specialist dr robert watkins who had worked on peyton manning and robert gronkowski this is kind of a big thing uh robert watkins told him the discs in his lower back had degenerated to the point that his back was collapsing on the left side he discovered a bone spurring crosby's spinal canal near the sciatic nerve i apologize butcher that sciatic Sciatic. Thank you. And when another round of rehab did nothing to ease the pain, Crosby underwent surgery on December 14th to fuse his L5 and S1 vertebrae. Right. And so, yeah, like that's Ryan, Ryan's hit on the one point that I wanted to hit is like, even if Crosby wasn't a culture fit, even if you had decided and and maybe, maybe they did talk to Hank Fraley and, and Fraley was like, yeah, I don't, I don't know if this guy's all the way bought in. That, that cannot be an excuse for you to be medically negligent. That can't be like, I understand the viewpoint. Like they hear Crosby claim, pl- complaining about more injuries. They're like, this is just a guy trying to get out of plane. That's probably what's going through their head. But you like your medical staff can't think that way. And maybe they did. Maybe they didn't. Again, we, we don't have the full story here necessarily. But that's what he said. It, he said, right. right. Unless yeah. he has proof. <clears throat> right. Um, my my other point which I'm trying to gather back in my head because I can't remember at this moment. Sorry. Uh, no, it's okay. I, it's just, it's well, real quick, let, you, you think on that. And, and the one thing I just want to bring up is like at that point, like the lions draft Sewell and it's clear that Tyrell Crosby is the team's new swing tackle. People are thrilled with that. There are so many Lions fans that are just like over the moon. I mean, it it almost seems like it was like that as soon as Crosby was drafted. As soon as Crosby was drafted, it was, oh, it's this guy who like slipped down draft boards and the Lions got him. And I think a lot of people were in on Tyrell Crosby and also like just seemed like a great personality on Twitter. Like 
you know, uh, right. interacted with fans a lot. Like people really bought in on Tyrell Crosby and then to see him get cut, it was one of those things where it was like, it was shocking to a lot of people. For sure. And now, um, and now we're, we're seeing that thing that like we saw with Quandre Diggs at the time, like anytime a former player speaks out against a team, no matter how beloved they were before, there's going to be a portion of the fan base that just completely does a 180 on him. And it's just like, nope, he's persona non grata. He's lazy. He's whatever. Like, I don't care what opinion I had on him for three years. The fact that he did this, he's, he's irredeemable, which, well, I, I think you're, you're going to have that anytime. Like some yeah, and people I, are just going to defend the shield. Right. And I think it just gets worse when Crosby took a shot at like the whole lions, like sure. as a whole through this organization, which I mean, to Crosby's point, I've talked to some other former Lions players who do have that opinion, who aren't out and out about that, but like, but, it's out there. It's an opinion in the league. I'm sorry. You have to deal with it. It's the reputation. The league is the team is going to have for a very long time, regardless of who's in the chair. The, the, the only pushback I would have there is that I think Crosby might be being naive in thinking that this is a lion specific problem. No, I agree with that, but I, I mean, we just named off a bunch of players sure. over a 20, over like a 10, 20 year period. We can even go back and add Barry Sanders to the but, list that, it's it's more common than you think from other teams. Too. No, I it understand happens all that. the time. I understand same, that. Same but, thing. Yeah. Same situation with the player saying, "Hey, this medical team screwed up." Like they're. I, I understand that. I'm just saying, like the Lions have just a target on their back because sure. of that. I'm not saying that's fair yep. or not. That's yep. just the reality of it. I just again, I don't. I I feel sympathetic to Crosby in this regard because again, like man, sometimes you can come into work just having a bad day, and the people above you don't care about that. They don't care about what you're dealing with. And it feels bad, man, because sometimes you're just screaming out and want someone to like care about what you're going through the, to like to, to, to pay attention to like all the pain you've had for it. And from what he's alleging, like they didn't care. And that's rampant in the entire sport of football. Right. This sport from the youth up is littered with bodies of people who are having bad days and coaches just put them on the shit list. And that was the end of it for them. Maybe that happened here. I don't know. This is he said, he said. I just, I want to, I want to at least have empathy for Crosby in that regard, because it right. sounds like this guy was just going through a lot of bad things between missing his family like hell, which like that's the sacrifice the sport demands out of you, but it takes it out of people more than others and the amount of pain and surgery and the struggle to get back on the field. That is, that is hard to go through. The, the, the last point I want to make is that I think part of the reason some people are having such trouble wrapping their head around this, besides all the positive spins that we've heard of from Dan Campbell and company is the way that they're treating other injuries right now, right? Like they're being extremely careful with Jamison Williams. They're being extremely careful with Josh Pascal and Jerry Jacobs and all these other guys who they're like, we need to take our time. This is a long-term process. We, we want to make sure these guys are okay. They're it, when it comes to like, the current injuries of maybe, and maybe this is it. Maybe they're just viewed as more important players. They are being extremely careful and thoughtful and they're, they've brought in a mental health team. Like they it does feel like they've done a lot of things for player care, especially this regime in, in one year. So to, to kind of put this Crosby story right in the middle of it, it doesn't seem like it necessarily fits, but I think, I think we laid it out here. Like, I feel like there was a lot of emotions. There was a lot of maybe misreading of character on both sides where Crosby thought they were out to get him from, from week one. And and maybe the Lions just thought he wasn't buying in from day one. And so it just, it deteriorated from there. 
And a lot of those changes might have honestly been because of what happened with Crosby. They might have turned around and realized like, hey, we were doing wrong by that. But we'll have to wait and see. Obviously, this podcast will be coming out on Monday. So maybe we'll have some comments by the time you're listening to this podcast. Maybe not. I don't know. I know the Lions have given no comment as of Sunday, but we'll keep on an eye on the story. It's a bit of a fly in the ointment to all the feel good going around right now, which nobody likes it when you rock the boat either. Nobody likes it when you rock the boat. So I try to give sympathy more to Crosby in that regard too. I think he knew that putting this story out there, he's going to get a lot of flack for it. Sure. So let's wrap up here though. Kind of a sour note to end on, but uh, Hey, we'll be back with more Kool-Aid for next week. And uh, just more stuff from training camp. Pads. More pads are coming. Pads, pads are on. Pads are on. Put the pads on. Bring the balls out. Put the pads on. Damn straight. Thank you all for listening to Pride of Detroit POD cast. Thank you all for supporting all our work we've done here. And as always, we'll see you star side. <laughs>